the number of sheets of notes which I have is, is no indication of how long I'm going to speak. I usually can't read my handwriting anyway, so it won't have any bearing. I'll try to condense um, what I want to discuss as much as possible. We live in a pluralistic democratic society which is built upon an ideological foundation of tolerance. What I'd like to explore with you together briefly is to what extent and within what parameters is tolerance a native Jewish halachic value and to what extent have we simply assimilated this from Western culture. I think we can identify two or three, depending upon perhaps a little bit of semantics, forms of tolerance and non-judgmentalism within halofa. And the list is, is not, not exhaustive, not intended to be. First of all, we certainly find instances where historical and personal circumstances are relevant to the judgment we form. The mission of not to judge another person until one finds oneself in the identical set of circumstances which almost never really happens. Now the the post can say, I think that the Orchlaner um, is one of the prominent ones amongst them who says, we have a lot of, of mumor dina ka'akam, which means that, that if one is mechal shabbos b'farhesia, publicly, so then in many contexts of halacha is dina ka'akam, he's treated as a Gentile, he can't chef, uh, we can't allow him to touch wine, which is not nevushal, which is uncooked, etc. Mumor dina ka'akam. A mumma dina ka'akum again applies if a person is a mumma lakola ta'ukula. A person is, is guilty either actually of violating the entire Torah or it's what he does is tantamount to violating the entire Torah. And the two averas which are singled out, which are considered tantamount to violating the entire Torah, are either Shabbos or Avodazar. So the halacha stipulates that if a person violates Shabbos willfully, the Zadon, so then he's, he has a den of mumma dina ka'akam. So what does it mean? It means, well, if I know that I'm not supposed to turn on the light and I turn on the light, so I'm doing it the If I don't know, if, if no one ever taught me that I'm not supposed to turn on the light, or if I forgot that it's Shabbos, I forgot that it's also, so then I'm doing it the shogate. Now, the Orthodox says, so what happens if you have, a, you have a, a Jew, unfortunately, no fault of his own, comes from an assimilated background, right? See, he heard once upon a time that religious Jews don't drive on, on Shabbos. They don't uh, flip the, the light switches on Shabbos. So Arachonah says that doesn't make him lazy. Because what the halacha has in mind when it says that if a person is Mechal Shabbos, the Zadon, he becomes Mumar Dino Ka'akum, the Zadon, it means it's not enough for me to know that it says in the Torah you don't do it. I have to know that the Torah is an authoritative source. It's not enough for me to know that the Yosef Karo, a 16th century rabbi, wrote in his Shulchan Aruch that you don't do it. I have to know that what this great rabbi wrote in the 16th century is authoritative and, and definitively so. And as long as one, due to, again, historical and or personal circumstances, 
doesn't know that, so one would not be classified as being Mechal Shabbos B'nezid and would not have the status of Muma Dina Ka'akam. We find that in Dine Shamayim, in terms of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu meets out punishment, again, historical and or personal circumstances often are taken into account. They can be considered as a basis for extenuation or mitigation. The, the famous Gemara in, in Brachos, I think Rashi al refers to it as well, commenting on the opening Pasuk in Pasha's Dvarim of uh, Ela Advar Meshadibah Moshe Kol Yisrael, by Midbar Ba'arava Mosuf Ben Korin Ben Tolfa, Vulavan V'chatseros V'di Zohar. So Di Zohar, again, we know Chazal say that each of these names is really an allusion to some theme. So what does Di Zohar refer to? Ami Divei Rabbi Yana, Ikach Oma Moshe Lefnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is what Moshe said to Hashem. Yibonu Shalolan, Bishvil Kesev V'zorav She'ishpata Lohem L'Yisrael Ad She'onu Dai Hu Goram Lohem, Hu Goram Lohem She'asu Sa'egel. Kaviyochu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's your fault that the Jewish people made the Egel, because you gave them so much, you spoiled them, Kaviyocho. You were a parent, you, you pampered your children too much. You spoiled them, Kaviyocho. But you gave them so much gold, they didn't know what to do with it. So they went and they made an Egel Hazard. What's the point of, of this, uh, of this Agad? Many points. How, how a leader is supposed to be Melamit Tzchus on his people, are we supposed to assume responsibility to daven for them? But one of the points also is that in Dine Shamayim, again, we see historical and, and personal circumstances being invoked as a basis, again, for extenuation, for mitigation. A second form of tolerance, I'm not quite sure what difference is between the first and second kind, so don't work too hard on trying to figure out the difference here. Um, is, is tolerance in, in form of understanding, meaning not simply mitigating, but almost to the point of, of absolving. And here I think that the, the classical source for this comes from the Rambam in the beginning of the second parak of Hilchos Mamer. The Rambam writes, and I'm, I'm excerpting here, without always indicating where I'm skipping a few words from the first three halachas in Perek Beis Hilchos Mamen. Mishen Modu B'Tarash Abal Peh Hareze V'chal Ho'api Kursen If a person denies Tarash Abal Peh, he's a heretic. And the halacha is, according to the Gemara, that Moridino Sovelo Malen that one would uh, cause him to fall into a pit from which he couldn't escape and one wouldn't, one wouldn't uh, provide the ladder to help him get out if he had already fallen in on his own. Shekol elu enam bechal Yisrael. We don't relate to them as though they're Jews. The Rambam continues. Bamedvar mamurim beish shekafa b'tarish about peb machshafto ubedvarim shenirulo. This is a person who became a heretic basically out of hubris. A person who decided that he knows better than thousands of years of tradition. He knows better than the cumulative wisdom of all the Chachmeh HaMasorah throughout the generations. And he decides, no, I don't believe this, this can't be, I reject this. Such a person, again, a heretic from his own hubris, his own thoughts, what I think, I hold like this, I think like this. Rambam here implies, just uh, between, the, between the lines here, 
that often intellectual mistakes are, are driven by trying to accommodate some kind of uh, emotional agenda. Right? The Roman says, In other words, we're talking here about first-generation heretics, the Rambam says. I'm talking about first-generation heretics. But the second generation, and certainly the third generation, so Ram says, Chas I'm not speaking of them. They're Some people, these people, it's as if they have been coerced because they were raised on these false, false beliefs. The Fichach, in, in sharp, sharp contrast to what the Rambam said initially, the second generation, and the contrary, it's our obligation to try to, to entice them to return to Torah and to recognize the truth of Torah. Again, a, a perfect example of how, again, historical and or personal circumstances is considered, again, a basis for extenuation, a basis for mitigation. The third type of tolerance is in the sense of multiple Torah truths. The famous Gemara in Erevin of Elu Ve'elu Dev Elu Kim Chaim that it is possible within the parameters of Torah to have equally valid Torah opinions, equally ta- valid Torah views. Again, the classical example, of course, being the disputes between Beishamai and Beishilel, but this is certainly a concept which, which continues to exist at Hayom Azad. That doesn't necessarily mean that every time you sit down with your Chavusa and you have an argument about what the Gemara means, it's a pretty safe bet that hopefully one of the two opinions is uh, <laughs> but in all likelihood both opinions are not but when you're dealing with uh, with Gedolim, with Chachmir so that's a concept which exists and which remains true and Hayom has so much for forms of, of, of uh, again native halachic tolerance moreover Non-judgmentalism is a core value in halacha in the sense that we judge only out of necessity. And Torah says in Parashas Dvarim, Parakal, Posek Yitzayim, Ki HaMishpat Elokim Hu. Rashi, on that Posek, quotes from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Darches, Lo dayon l'rishoim, Shenot l'en mamon mizev, Enos l'en lazesh, Shelo kidin, Ela shematrichin osi l'hachzir hamamon l'vaolav. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu complains, as it were. He says plaintively, right, not only when, when, if you have a corrupt judge, a corrupt Bezdin, so not only are, are they, the, the injustice which they perpetrate is that they uh, wrongly take money from one plaintiff and give it to the other plaintiff, but as it were, they burden me, they impose upon me to, to undo that damage. Why? Because clearly the point Chazal is trying to convey is that Kadosh Baruch Hu says that they're representing me. 
when the Dayan, when the judges, Paskin, so they represent me. And therefore, it is, it is my responsibility in Kaviyachal, they burden me in any miscarriage of justice in that I have to undo that miscarriage of justice. And there are many halachas which reflect this, again, very central idea, this motif, that basically judging another person is really in the domain of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And consequently, we only judge out of necessity, and even then, as emissaries of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's just mention one or two reflections of this idea. The Gemara in Baruchus, Minayim L'Shlosha Shiyoshvin B'Din Sheshchino Imohem, Shinema B'Kervalokim Yishpov. When judges are, are sitting and they're, they're, they're grappling with... The, $10, a $10 lawsuit. It doesn't make a difference what the case is. Din Pruta is this Kikudin Mayor, but Shechina is with them. Why? Because really, judgment is the exclusive domain of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hence, the Shechina has to be present because the judges, again, are acting as emissaries of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. To, to abbreviate, if you take a look in, in, in the Gemara, in, in Shavuos and Daflamid, the Gemara tells a story how one of the Amoraim came to testify in a case. And the Dayan had him sit down. The Dayan had him sit down. So the Gemara says, but isn't there an obligation of the Omdu Shnei Anoshim, Asher Lohem, Aviv Lifnei Hashem, that the witnesses are supposed to stand when they testify in front of a Bezdin? So the Gemara answers, well, Kavad Torah overrides. So the Rishonim asked Akasha, so if that's the case, how come when Yanai HaMelech had to appear before Bezdin, had to uh, appear before a tribunal, they made Yanai stand? Yanai HaMod Al-Adlacha, they told him. There's also an assay of Kvod Malchus. So the Ritva gives a fascinating, fascinating answer. He says as follows. He says, L'gabe Milei Didan, Vis-a-vis us, Kavad HaMelech is even a stronger obligation than Kavad Torah. But when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so then we have to impose more on the Melech. And we have to insist that the Melech stand in Bezdin. Why? Because his obligation to stand in Bezdin is not to accord respect to the three Dayanim who, who constitute this Bezdin, but his obligation to stand in Bezdin is an obligation to stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Again, a clear halachic reflection of the fact and again, as such, we have no right to engage in judgment. We have no right to judge another person except out of necessity. So by way of summation, tolerance and non-judgmentalism are certainly native Torah values. They're not simply imported or imbibed from modern Western culture. Nevertheless, there is a fundamental difference between halachic tolerance and lahavdil Western tolerance. Western tolerance is rooted in pluralism and relativism. The philosophy that one can't claim to possess absolute truth, 
and consequently one must accord legitimacy to belief which run, which, to beliefs which run counter to one's own. The mindset of 20th and 21st century America is that truth is relative, subjective, and accordingly pluralistic. And this pertains not only to theological beliefs, but also to moral knowledge. If there's no absolute truth, there can't be any absolute morality either. Yahadus categorically rejects this epistemological and moral relativism. In the eyes of Halacha, there is absolute truth, and accordingly, there is absolute morality. Now here, just to digress for a minute, we are very uncomfortable. We, again, 21st century Westerners, Americans, are very uncomfortable with the notion of absolute truth. And the reason for that, there are a few reasons for that. First of all, and very understandable reasons, First of all, because of the atrocities which have been and which continue to be perpetrated in the name of absolute truth. There's no, no shortage of, of examples and, and one's memory doesn't have to reach too far back. Second of all, the intellectual climate in which we live is relativistic. Modern historiography searches for historical causation. Everything can be understood historically. Everything is simply a response to, to, to historical context, to social, social and, and political context. Well, if that's the case, if nothing transcends its historical context, then there re isn't really any absolute truth, because everything is driven by historical circumstances. And that clearly is one of the basic beliefs of modern historiography. And finally, the social and political climate in which we live is entirely relativistic. Democracy, at its very core, is pluralistic and relativistic. And as a result of these forces, and perhaps others as well, the truth is, again, when we look in the mirror, we realize that we're very uncomfortable about and very weary shy about professing absolute truth. And yet, Yahadus is certainly built upon a foundation of absolute truth. There's, there's just no question about that. That is unequivocally the case. Again, this doesn't mean that in all areas, on all questions, there's a single monolithic absolute truth. We already mentioned the concept of Elu Elu Develu Kim Chayim. However, notwithstanding, there are many, many truths which are absolute and which are monolithic. The posuk in Yemiyot, Tanegyud, posuk Yud, Hashem Elokim Emes, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is Emes, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is true. This is the the source for in Kriyishma, right? And the Hashem Elokechem Emes, really the Emes belongs to the Brachah. It doesn't belong to the Kriyishma, but based on this posuk. In, in Yemiyahu, so we're supposed to juxtapose the Hashem Elokechem with Emes. Absolute truth exists because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Emes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is true. The Gemara in Shabbos Nunhei, Amar Abchanimach Hasamu Shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu Emes. The signet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is truth. 
Rashi explains very interestingly, Rashi says that three letters which comprise the word MS come from, from either extreme of the alphabet, the Aleph and the Taf and the Mem, from the middle of the alphabet, which is an allusion to the Pasuk, to the concept of the HaKadosh Baruch Hu being described as Ani Rishon, Ani Achron, Anihu, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his eternity. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu preceded everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu outlasts everything. And that is who HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. So there is MS. There is absolute truth because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is MS. We can and do know absolute truth because of revelation, because of Ma'amad HaSinai. Torah Shabbat Shav, Torah Peh, contain absolute truth. And finally, our Masorah has preserved these truths for us. Our Masorah has preserved these, these absolute truths for us. There's a fascinating introduction of the, the, the Oroch HaShulchan to volume one of, of Choshen Mishpat. And, and he, he comments on just the miraculous nature and the precision of our Masorah. Let me just read you a, a few lines. He says, you see something absolutely remarkable about the truth of our tradition, of our, of our Masorah. It's more than 1,800 years now that the Jewish people are scattered all over the world. They can't even communicate because they speak different languages. They speak different vernaculars. Poland, Morocco, Tunis, Tripoli. He says those who are who are in, in, in Eastern Europe, in Russia, in Poland, but they have no contact and they have no common language with those in, 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 uh, in Iraq, in Morocco, in Algiers, etc. He says, It's only 400 years since the printing press was invented. And before that, And and before this, there was no contact between Eastern Europe, between Asia and Africa. He says, and there's no discrepancy throughout the Jewish world. There's no contact. And yet, everyone has the same tradition. Which months consist of 30 days? Which months consist of 29 days? Which months can be either, such as Chodesh Kislev, and in which year Kislev is Malay, and in which year Kislev is Chaser, only consists of 29 days, a, a, a remarkable testament to the truth of our Masoras. So there is absolute truth, because HaKadosh Baruch HaShem Elohim Emes, that absolute truth is revealed to us in Torah, Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat and that absolute truth has been conveyed to us through our Masorah. Now, one of the absolute truths <coughs> and precepts of absolute morality which the Torah communicates is in Sefer Vayikra, 
Do not lie with a male as you would with a woman, since this is a disgusting perversion. The pasuk unambiguous and unambiguously understood by our Masorah throughout all generations prohibits male homosexuality. In Parshas Kedosh, right, there are two Parshas of Arayas in the Torah, and Achrinos, the Torah lists the prohibitions, and Kedosh in the Torah lists the punishments, so the Torah returns to this again <coughs> in Parakhav, Pasuk Yudgimel, and the Torah specifies the punishment for male homosexuality. I'm reading from the translation from Rabbi Kaplan's Chumash. If a man has intercourse with another man in the same manner as with a woman, both of them have committed a disgusting perversion that should be put to death by stoning. Now, it's important to recognize that the Torah also prohibits female homosexuality. Not in the same pasuk, not in these psukim, but the Torah forbids that as well. In Perak Yudches, in the introductory psukim to the Pasha of Arayas, in Pasha Zachimos, <coughs> it's the beginning of the, the afternoon Kriya on, on Yom HaKippurim, Kemasei Eretz Mitzrayim Asher Yishavtem Bo Lo Saasu, Don't follow the ways of Egypt where you once lived, nor of Canaan, where I will be bringing you. Do not follow any of their customs. Now the Sifra, and similarly the Gemara Yevamas, explain, so what exactly is Masei Eretz Mitzrayim? What, what uh, perversions happened in, in, in Mitzrayim? So the Sifra says, and the Gemara Yevamas, says this as well, and it's quoted in the Ramba, it's quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, every place where one would expect it to be quoted, So clearly this Pasuk expands the prohibition that it's not only male homosexuality, which the Torah prohibits, but female homosexual behavior as well. Now, th- there is a difference, there is a difference, in that Mishkat Zohar, male homosexuality is considered a rise. And as such, is one of the Gimel Averis, one of the three cardinal Averis for which there is a Chi of Yehoi Gvalyavu, that even if a person is being threatened with death, he has to allow himself to be killed rather than to transgress. Female homosexuality, presumably, is not in, not in this category, but it certainly is a prohibition, Mida Oraifa, categorically prohibited. Now, in recent years, there's been considerable debate and dispute regarding the existence of the gay gene. Is there a gene for homosexuality? Are people genetically programmed to, in terms of their homosexual orientation? Now, genetic research lies far beyond my, my field of competence. I'm not sure exactly what my field of competence is, but it's certainly not, uh, it's not, it's certainly not genetic research. That much I, I, am, uh, I am clear on. But I, I, I would like to just note, note the following. First of all, even those who claim the existence of such a gene, and again, this is very controversial and has been uh, subjected to a lot of uh, criticism, they only maintain that sexual orientation is genetically influenced. No one, even the most politically correct geneticist, maintains that sexual orientation, homosexual orientation, is genetically determined. 
And the reason for that is that there have been studies of identical twins where only one is homosexual and the other isn't. So it clearly belies any claim that what we're talking about, again, is anything beyond genetic influence. Okay? No one, no one makes a claim. Again, the, 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 the most fabenta advocates don't, don't make a claim for genetic determinism for it. The most, the most that is claimed is that the homosexual orientation is, again, genetically influenced. But again, that falls, that falls far short of any kind of, of uh, genetic determinism. Now, what's the view of the halacha on this? I'm not interested in, 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 in really responding to that question. It is clear that the halacha doesn't consider homosexuality natural. How do we know that? Because based on the Gemara Kiddushin, the halacha is, if you take a look in Shulchan Aruch, in, in Ebn Ezra, Simon Chavdalit, with the commentaries there, that whereas a man and, and a woman, not, not father and daughter, not mother and son, not husband and wife, is an Issa Yichud, they're not supposed to be alone, there is no such Issa Yichud for two men. Right? The Issa of the prohibition of homosexuality notwithstanding, there is no prohibition of Yichud. And the reason for that is, the Rambam says, is because the, the Issa Yichud is intended as a safeguard, as a safeguard, and, uh, and the Halacha doesn't consider this a, a natural urge. If a person knows, presumably if a person knows, I think this is clear from Shulchan Aruch as well, if a person knows that he has a homosexual orientation, so then he would have an Issa Yichud with, with another man. But a person with a with normal heterosexual uh, orientation, there is, there is no Issa Yichud. Now, but more importantly, more importantly than this whole dispute, is that basically the dispute's not relevant. Why is the dispute not relevant? Because even if one were, for argument's sake, to posit the existence of a gay gene, it wouldn't challenge the Torah, it wouldn't challenge the Torah's prohibition in the least. Allow me to explain what I have in mind. The Rambam begins Hilchus Deus as as follows. People have many different predispositions, and and they and they they they, they span the entire gamut. There's some people who naturally their predisposition is they're quick to anger, always angry, always angry. Yesh adam. Some people are, are apathetic. You, you can't get a rise out of them for anything. Anything you can't get a rise out of them. Some people are so arrogant and some people are so meek and they have no self-esteem and no self-confidence that they can't even function. Some people are basically hedonistic by nature, and, and they're never content. As much pleasure as they have, they're driven for more and more. And some people are ascetic by nature. There are Donald Trumps in the world. 
they, they can't get uh, they can't get enough money. And there are other people who are not even motivated to, to, to acquire what they need for the most basic necessities. What's remarkable about this Rambam, you know what's remarkable about this Rambam? And this observation is made by the main model. Yaakov Moshe Chalap, Chalap his grandfather, has a remarkable, remarkable observation in this Rambam. If the Rambam is describing different types, right? So he describes a type who's always angry, right? Very volatile, always angry. Then he describes, and there are some people who are apathetic. So why not describe someone who's, who's balanced? Someone who's, who's not apathetic, he's feeling, but he's not quite angry, he only know. In each, of, in each of the dualities, in each of the contrasts the Rambam presents, no one's on target. See, he said, so Achalab says it's a remarkable thing. So apparently no one, HaKadosh Baruch doesn't create any of us on target. Everyone, everyone has a task of Tikkun Hamidus. Everyone has a task to refine, to curb, to challenge, in extreme cases, to, to, to transform and overhaul his instincts. No one is directly on target. Similarly, the Tosis HaRosh in Masachas Nida make the following comment. Masachas Nida is one of the places where one finds the Gemar of HaKobi De Shemayim Chutz Right? We have free will. Whether a person is righteous or not righteous, we have free will. If a person is tall, if a person is short, if a person, uh, a person has hair, if a person never doesn't have hair, so that's all, that's all, Bidei Shemayim. There's nothing we can do about that, right? But Yerushalayim, that we have a, that we have a say over. So the Tosis HaRosh asks, Tosis HaRadaf asks us as well, that from the Gemara Shabbos it would appear that depending upon what mazel, what, what, what constellation um, a person was, was uh, born at that time, that that seems to dictate whether he's going to be at Tzadik or at Russia. But what do I mean, B'Sof Masech HaShabbos, Ha'man de Mishyalit B'Tzadik Yehid Tzadkan B'Mitzvos, so isn't it uh, determined by, by astrology? Okay, so we wouldn't call it astrology, we would call it genetics, right? Some people, don't they have uh, just an instinct and, and, and a sensitivity for, 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 for emuna, for faith, for, for spirituality, and don't some people lack it? Yes, Loma, she'afshem mazolo noten te'echod minadrochen, yikomokum biyotohu lehishazek al yitzvah. Yeah, of course we have predispositions. Of course we're not. I don't think the Rambam, I don't think the Tosas Arosh, I don't think the Rishonim would have agreed with the, uh, with the empiricists and the, and the idea of a, of a blank tablet and, and, and that, that a person is, is created without any, without any predisposition. Okay, so in modern biological terms, we'll call it genetic predispositions. Of course there are genetic predispositions. But Chirochashis doesn't mean that there aren't genetic predispositions, but free will means that a person can overcome, a person can refine, he can curb, he can challenge, he can channel, and he can change as necessary, as necessary, these genetic predispositions. So in that sense, the, the dispute about a gay gene is not really so relevant to us. If there is a gay gene, Yavu Eliyahu Yavu Eliyahu that there would be one. 
it would come as a big surprise if he would come and tell us that. But Yovah the Yovah Yoma, that there is one, so then we would just know that the same way a, a person who's, who's predisposed to anger, the same way a person who's predisposed to pursuit of, of, of riches, the same way the, the wrathful individual and the aspiring magnate have to curb, they have to channel, they have to, they have to change as necessary, so too the person with, with the gauging would also have to be mishazek al-Yitzvah. There's a remarkable medrash, which, which I think is, is a well-known medrash, that in, in Gracious Rabbah, the medrash comments, that Kevon Shavu'ah Shmuel as David Admoni, when Shmuel saw that David was, was a, a, a redhead, Nisyare, he was afraid of Amar, this must be an indication, again, of, of, of being bloodthirsty. Right? That's what it represented. It represented such a genetic predisposition in Esav. Does that mean that David Amalek has the same predisposition? Amalek HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers Shmuel, Esav midas shed blood capriciously. He does it in consultation with the Sanhedrin, only when it's a mitzvah. So what's the point of the Medrash? The point of the Medrash is, yeah, of course we have. We all have, we all have urges and instincts, and very often those instincts are not such holy instincts. But the point is that they have to be curbed, they have to be challenged, at times they have to be outright stifled, so that we mold ourselves in accordance with the Torah's ideal for what we should be. And that's a major, major component of our, of our Avodah Hashem. Let's just, in, in, in the final few moments, let's speak in, in very concrete terms. How do we balance the halakhic values of tolerance and absolute truth regarding homosexuality? First of all, homosexuality can never, ever be legitimized, directly or indirectly. And here I have to share with you a case that actually happened. It actually happened. A, a, a two women living openly as lesbians, openly. They, they publicized it. They, they professed it. So one of them, one of them became pregnant via artificial insemination and had a, and, 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 and delivered a, a, a gave birth to a, a boy, a baby boy. Then, in Shul, in Shul, an announcement was made at the Shalom Zaha for so-and-so's, for their, for their son, is a night, such and such a time, and the bris will be held, and the time and place were given for that. So that's incredible. That's incredible. So that, that's legitimizing it. That, that's legitimizing the practice, but that is absolutely, absolutely unacceptable. It can't happen. It can't be allowed to happen. If you have a show directory and you have a, a couple, be it male, be it female, who, who, who want to be listed as homosexual, it can't. It can't happen. That's to confer legitimacy on what the Torah says is, is Yehoi Gamiyatwa. 
it can't be. But there are even more subtle applications, and that is, I, I haven't seen it, but, but I'm told that this, this movie, which was, which was shown not that long ago, what was it called, Trembling Before, Before God or something, um, which has a very sympathetic uh, portrayal of homosexuals and their struggles, but the sympathy is extended towards practicing homosexuals. And, and that's, again, to, to show sympathy to the practice of homosexuality. Okay, we're not discussing people yet. We're discussing about the practice of homosexuality. There's nothing, according to the Torah. The Torah says, to evasa. So how can it be? How can it be that, 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 that we are going to push a, a movie which has a sympathetic portrayal not of people who are struggling with their orientation, but of people who, who say openly, from what I'm told, and you see it in front of the camera, that they are practicing homosexuality. I don't know. Do we? I don't think we, we glorify. Or I'll, I'll be happy to answer. I'll be happy to answer in, in a couple of minutes. Um, and I don't think we we, we don't glorify fool Shabbos. Now that notwithstanding, the fact that the practice of homosexuality can never ever be legitimized again either directly or indirectly we can and should feel compassion for individuals who quietly sincerely are struggling with their homosexuality and moreover moreover while we unequivocally condemn the practice of homosexuality because the Torah unequivocally condemns the practice of homosexuality and the Torah is absolute truth we reserve judgment regarding the people themselves we condemn the practice we don't condemn the people HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges people HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides whether or not they're mitigating life experiences or whatever that's in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's province we don't judge people but we do judge behavior because the Torah tells us if you don't judge behavior so then the lines between right and wrong between mutter and asa become totally blurred to the point of being eradicated the behavior is unequivocally wrong the behavior cannot be legitimized again in any of the fashions or forms we discussed we don't judge people and finally this attitude towards people there is one one exception and that is that individuals especially if they seek to, to invoke rabbinic authority to do so who seek to legitimize homosexuality to distort the Torah's teaching so that has to just be unequivocally rejected that there is no room for that and, and there is no room to, to, to allow that to stand and it has to be revealed for what it is just a, a total distortion of Torah, of our belief system, of our Masonry of thousands and, and thousands of years. Just in, in conclusion, obviously this, this recognition that there is absolute truth has many, many other applications, and maybe at some other time we'll explore some of those. And so, did, did you want to ask? Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, it's
and unfortunately we have to pay off. Um, I don't really understand what she was point when she says that because two women are living together and two last women they stay living together, that when they had a baby boy, they announced that the children don't want to live, and that's what she remembered they shouldn't have had a baby, they should have a children's The girl also says many times that people who eat seafood, it's an abomination. But we don't say that they should have a children's they shouldn't have a bird. And also, I take umbrage of the relationship with implication that there is a Similarity because a person's disposition to be angry and all the other lists uh, in that litany that the Raman gave and a person's sexual orientation. I don't think the Rashid himself would say that if uh, theoretically if we found a, a new Torah that was a, a true Torah that said, you know, we got it wrong, that really people are not supposed to be heterosexual, that they should be homosexual, that then that, that, that all of a sudden I could come along and everyone else come along and say, okay, now I think I'm going to have to overcome my sexual orientation because the Torah that God really gave says that we should be all homosexual. I don't think Roshina would say that we would have to uh, uh, somehow control or adapt our, our sexual orientation while we're going to Okay, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try as best I, I remember the points. So I'll, I'll try to take them up one by one. Um, no, I, I didn't, didn't see the movie. And if I mischaracterized the movie, I uh, apologize to the film's producers and to, to any other... Uh, vested interest of the point so let's just make the point without relating it to the movie and those who have seen the movie can uh, um, can can relate it as, as, as they know best uh, again um, there, there, can, there can be sympathy for people there should be sympathy for people but but not sympathy which 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 insinuates that when one is doing something which the Torah unequivocally categorically prohibits one can't insinuate that somehow or other we have no control over that if, if the sympathy is, is insinuating that, that this is beyond my control and, and, and that I, I simply cannot cannot do otherwise um, so no, that's misplaced sympathy. That's misplaced sympathy. If, if one says, you know, that if, 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 if someone says in front of the camera or, 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 or in any other context, yes, my this is what my orientation is, but since I know that Torah prohibits it, I realize that I can't act on it. I realize that I can't indulge it. And because of that, I'm so lonely and I'm so miserable. Of course we have compassion for him. Of course, one's, you, 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 our hearts should bleed for such an individual. But if the sympathy is meant to convey, and now whether this is true of the movie or not, I, I don't know. I don't know. But if the sympathy is, is meant to, to, to convey and, and insinuate, maybe, maybe with subtlety, to insinuate that somehow or other, you know, the practice of homosexuality is involuntary, so that, that's, that's unacceptable. Um, I'm sorry, what was the second chapter? Uh, the Shalom Zohar. The Shalom Zohar, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the child should have a verse. I think the child should not have a Shalom Zohar. A Shalom Zohar is um, clearly, clearly when a community joins in, in a celebration, when a community joins in a celebration, one is it's joining in a celebration of, of something which is something which is pure. We celebrate a bar mitzvah. We celebrate a wedding. We celebrate pure events. 
a woman who, again, who chose to publicize the fact, right? Who chose to publicize the fact that she flaunts Torah law, that she flaunts halacha, that she flaunts thousands of years of tradition by living openly and, and proudly, proudly, and that's the case I'm referring to, as, as a lesbian, and because of that flaunting of halacha, because of that flagrant disrespect to halacha, the child was born via, via artificial insemination. No, that's not an occasion which we can come together to celebrate. Should the child have a bris? Of course the child should have a bris. Very quietly, the moral should go and go be moral child. But there can't be a shalom zapper. There can't be a, there can't be a, a bris with bagels and, and lux and, uh, and platters with, uh, with, with whitefish. And it certainly can't be announced uh, from the, from the bima in a, in a mikdash ma'at in, in a show. And, and finally, in terms of the, the, the relevance of, of the Rambam in, uh, in Hilchas Deus and, and the Tosis Arash, the point was clearly, and, and I apologize if, if, I, if, if I didn't make this point clear, in terms of the strength of different instincts or urges, I don't mean to, uh, to equate the, the strength which one type of instinct or urge may possess to that of another. But the point is the same. The point is that our belief in the Thirofashis is that there's no such thing, no matter how strong the predisposition, no matter how strong the orientation may be, and even if for argument's sake, right, and this is very, very hypothetical, very, very theoretical, even if for argument's sake one wants to say that, the, that it is genetically influenced, there's no such thing as genetically or biologically determined behavior. And in that sense, there is a common denominator. In, in terms of the punchline of the Tosus Harash, that it is our obligation, to overcome the Yetzer, so no matter what that Yetzer is, and no matter how strong that Yetzer is, that's what the belief in the Philophobshus is. Otherwise, we're a bunch of puppets. Otherwise, we're going through life as a bunch of puppets. We don't believe that. Because the Ramam says, if you believe that, then all of Torah doesn't make sense. How can HaKadosh Baruch Hu say, if you do this, you'll be rewarded, and if you do this, you'll be punished, if ultimately I don't have the ability to transcend my, my genetic predispositions? So I'm not equating the strength of the urge. And yes, if, if, if one wanted to imagine what the Torah said differently, then we would all be obligated to either A, ideally change ourselves and change our orientation, or B, if for some reason we, we tried therapy and we were unable to do so, so then we would be obligated to, to restrain that urge which the Torah prohibits. 